Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Well, when I read today's passage, my first thought was that Jesus did not understand the old phrase, quit while you're ahead. Quit while you're ahead says that you don't try to improve on something that's already been accomplished because any further action runs the risk of spoiling the victory. We're going to watch today as Jesus, in a matter of just a few minutes, goes from hometown hero to the victim of attempted murder. To help us understand this crazy turn of events, we're going to bring it a little bit closer to home with one of our modern-day heroes, LeBron James, all right? In 2019, LeBron James Family Foundation took on its largest philanthropic challenge by building the I Promise School in LeBron's hometown of Akron, Ohio. The kids that go to the I Promise public school are the worst performers, many with significant behavioral issues, three quarters of whom meet Ohio's low income threshold and some considered at risk to not graduate high school as young as eight years old. The school opened with skepticism as these kids were seen by many people as irredeemable. It's important to note after hearing a sentence like that, that the early sample size results at the I Promise School are actually phenomenal with over 90% of students meeting their academic and growth goals. And LeBron James truly is in Akron, Ohio, and even a lot further away than that, a real hometown hero. Now, we're gonna set up, for the sake of understanding the story that we're gonna hear in a moment, we're gonna set up a completely fictitious scenario after hearing that. We're going to pretend for a moment that you are a resident of the city of Akron, which is pretty easy for me. Uh, Linda Goodwin and I actually lived like 20, 30 minutes from Akron, so not terribly difficult for us. And my mom and dad actually who are on this call as well. So LeBron is planning this big public speech. He's going to announce the plans for his upcoming I Promise School. All the residents of Akron are invited to come and be a part of it. As a resident of Akron, you can hardly wait. Your love for your city, your love for LeBron is, of course, he's your favorite athlete. And on the day of the big event, you show up with thousands and thousands of other people. But to your complete shock and dismay, LeBron actually announces that he's decided that he's going to build his I Promise school not in his hometown of Akron, Ohio but rather in a city in Russia instead. As you sit there, totally stunned, you hear LeBron say something like this. You're all my hometown people. Some of you, in fact, are family. Others of you are my friends. Some of you are my neighbors. I love you. But these things give you no special access to me, or to my wealth. The crowd begins to grow pretty restless hearing this statement. You hear the boos begin. 
The few water bottles are thrown while security quickly whisks him away backstage before the now furious mob can get their hands on him. Now, Dustin is going to launch a Zoom poll for fun. And we're going to see, as a resident of Akron, how angry are you at LeBron for what he's done to you and to your city? And we'll see if this works. Are you mad enough to kill him? You're furious. You know you're never going to be a fan again. You're upset, but you'll get over it. Or you don't even know who LeBron is. And you're not bothered by this at all. Let's just take a second to see where we're at. And you will see that there will be direct relevance between this question and our scripture story for today. It should just take a second to see where we're at. And then Dustin, whenever you're ready to close this thing and give us uh, a few results. I'm ready whenever you are. I'm ready. I was born ready. Let's do it. Looks like most people voted, so we'll end now. Okay. Uh, Only one person said they were mad enough to kill him. Two people said they're furious. Uh, Overwhelming majority said they were upset, but they'll get over it. And a couple of people say, who is LeBron? They thought it was James Harden. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Thank you for that. That's what we got. Perfect. All right. We're going to listen to God's word today. We're going to watch Jesus kind of refuse to quit while he was ahead. The question that we're going to look at is, why did he do it? And did he have something that he wanted to say that was so important that it was worth the risk that he took? Here we go. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. If you have your own Bible, if not, I will read it for you right now. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came out from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself, and you will say, Do hear Also in your hometown, the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath, of Sidon. 
There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus rolled into his hometown of Nazareth. After traveling and teaching throughout the villages of Galilee, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus chose the reading of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, which in its original context, this passage referred to God's promise to bring Israel back from exile. It was a message of comfort and hope. It was good news to those who had very little. It was release to those bound up. It was recovery of sight to people that couldn't see. It was freedom for the oppressed. It proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus finished the reading. He rolled up the scroll. He handed it to the attendant. And then he preached the world's shortest sermon. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's it. Jesus takes Isaiah 61, he reinterprets it, referring to himself and his ministry. Here's what he's saying to these people who are listening. He's saying, I am the good news of comfort and hope. I am the year of jubilee, where debts are canceled, where forgiveness is offered, where wrongs are righted. His sermon stated that in him, Israel's prophetic message of coming salvation has been fulfilled. And shockingly, no water bottles are flying. No one's offended by this. Jesus saying that he's God's earthly representative coming to bring these things and no one is offended. In fact, the scripture says that all spoke well of him. They were amazed at his gracious words, the gracious words that came out of his mouth. They're proud of him. Like LeBron, Jesus is the hometown boy who has become something great and has returned to share his good fortune with his hometown faves. He, here's the point in this story when Jesus could have easily quit while he was ahead. He could have read the room. He could have accepted the accolades and walked away. But that's not what he did. The intersection of the problem is where divine favor meets people's sense of entitlement and privilege. Some of us might remember that back in the fall, uh, Lauren Hunt, myself, and Pastor Jennifer uh, we led a small group on racial healing and reconciliation. And I remember one of my biggest learnings was taking a look at how our different identities afford us a status of privilege or oppression within an unjust system. 
Of the seven identity categories, I checked all seven boxes of privilege and zero in the oppression status. It was really eye-opening for me, and I mentioned this because I believe that a few of these privilege status categories are in play in our passage today. These are Jesus's hometown people. They see themselves as having a special place. They want everything that all the other towns like Capernaum got. They want Jesus to perform for them, to put on a show, to perform some miracles. These people are his family, his friends, and his neighbors. They lean into their privileged status. Jesus then confounds their expectation by refusing because he knows that they need to be corrected. He knows that their view of God was far too small, that their idea of God's mission was far too narrow. This had to be hard for them to hear just as it can be hard for us to hear this message. Jesus indicates that they have no special claim on him based on ethnicity or the fact that they share the same religion or the fact that they're from the same hometown. Jesus uses two examples from the Hebrew scriptures to drive home his point. In the first example, the prophet Elijah travels days in search of food and water, and he finally meets a widow in the city of Zarephath. Dirt poor and starving to death due to drought and famine, he learns that her food is gone, that she's actually out gathering sticks and preparing for the death of herself and her son. Elijah is moved. And God tells Elijah to tell this poor, starving widow that her food would multiply, that it would not run out, that it would be more than enough than what she and her son need to survive. Now, the question is, on hearing that, are you offended yet? Because if not, there's, there's more. <laughs> In the midst of this terrible famine, right, the prophet Elijah was not sent to relieve the suffering of the widows of Israel. But rather, God sent the prophet to a Gentile woman living in a pagan city. The people hearing Jesus preach, they're thinking that God's not supposed to be in Sidon. Not even for a short visit, let alone actually blessing those people living there while skipping over God's own chosen people, the audacity of God to do this. This is what they're thinking. This woman had at least four of the seven identities of oppression. She's poor, female, Gentile, in a different religion, and yet Jesus says that God chose to, to provide for her needs. Now, the second story, much like the first, the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 5 hears of a great warrior named Naaman in the army of King Aram who had leprosy. Although named as a great man, we also know that this man had taken an Israelite slave telling us that he is also an enemy of Israel. Elisha calls for the man 
to wash in the Jordan River seven times. His leprosy is cured and Naaman comes to faith in God because of it. Again, we see God widening the circle of inclusion and blessing people that were considered outsiders. Now we pause for just a moment and take our own temperature like we did in the poll with LeBron James. How do we feel about this situation? Can we understand, relate to their anger in this moment? So what is Jesus up to? Well, he's trying to remind his listeners about a mission that God has already been up to for centuries, centuries between these prophets and Jesus. It's been and will continue to be a global, not a tribal mission. And so this hometown crowd realizes that Jesus isn't just for his homies. This is the point that he will not serve the special interests of his hometown people, no matter how much they might lobby, no matter how mad they might get. And if they reject him, he just warns them that he'll move on and that God's blessing will go to others. And so this crowd had an important choice to make. Their sense of wonder and amazement about these gracious words about the gospel that Jesus was preaching. They turn in a flash to anger. And the proclamation of the good news is outright rejected. Jesus is rejected. This is Luke's point. They had heard enough of this so-called good news. In a fit of rage, this worshiping group in the synagogue transforms into an angry mob that runs Jesus out to the edge of town in order to throw him off a cliff. We too have seen the devastation of angry mobs. Whipped up by lies resort to unthinkable things right here in our own country in recent weeks. Sadly, I learned last night that the FBI has even warned churches today to be prepared for attacks. And our own presbytery asked churches to please consider worshiping only online today because of it. Anger and resentment propel humans to unspeakable evil. I think this word wants to push through our resistance. It wants to push through our sense of entitlement or privilege. It wants to push through our fear of the other, whomever that person or people groups might be. It challenges us to consider how will we react when we see God's favor seemingly skipping over us and going to others, others that we may strongly disagree with, or even dislike. This has, of course, really important implications for a church. Who is Lightshine for? Do we get to pick and choose the people that only look or act or worship or vote like we do? Not only if, I mean, the answer is no, if we take Jesus's message seriously. 
This is hard to hear today in the midst of so much anger and division, so much scapegoating of the other, but it's also a message of the utmost importance because too many Christians get this wrong. They just don't get this message that Jesus taught in the synagogue on that day. And so Luke, ultimately in this, in writing this down in his gospel, is presenting his original hearers and his readers today, you and I, he's presenting us with a choice. Will we embrace or reject the Jesus who preached this shocking message of God's favor and blessing going to the wrong people. Amen.